Good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we are this morning. Romans chapter 12. Y'all know the drill when you're there, say I'm there. All right. Romans 12. I'm glad. <laughs> Romans 12, we'll begin in verse 1 just to kind of give us a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a context for where we are. Uh, in, in the letter to the Romans. So beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or as we saw a couple weeks, it's your rational or logical worship. This is the way we think. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God or what, the, what God's will is, that it is good and acceptable and perfect. And now we skip down to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now let's pray that God would give us insight and understanding to hear and to heed his word. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Because this mindset is not a mindset that is natural to us. We don't want to love this way naturally. Sinners that we are, we would love to be loved this way, but we don't want to love this way. Perhaps, Lord, there are some of us that come to a text like this and it just feels like we have been exposed. It, it feels like we are, we are here in front of everybody, naked, with all of our deeds and all of our works out in the open. And Lord, it's easy for us in that moment to shrink back and, and to hide, just like our first parents did in the garden. But Lord, I pray that this would not be a place for us to hide, but that this would be a place where we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, that you would cultivate in us the very love that you require of us. Lord, I pray that what we see in this text would be the pulse of TCC. That anybody that comes in could say, wow, the way these people love, 
is like nothing I've ever seen before. And Lord, I pray that this love would be a testament to what you have done in Christ by your Holy Spirit among us. And we thank you. Cultivate this gospel culture. A culture that loves as Jesus loves. And we thank you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone loves love. <laughs> you can tell that in the songs, the, 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 the songs that we've sung over the years in pop culture, right? Whitney and Dolly before her sang about how they will always love you. Y'all know that song, right? Okay, just checking. Lionel and Diana together sang of endless love. Nazareth told us that love hurts. <laughs> Elvis can't help falling in love. And by the way, neither can you be 40 later on. Y'all don't know, I, I was hoping y'all would know these songs, right? Do I, do, I have to, do I have to break out in karaoke? No, I don't. I, <laughs> it was the right answer. <laughs> Beyonce is crazy in love. Queen sings of a crazy little thing called love. The Beatles told us that all you need is love. And then they later said they can't buy love. And apparently, we are never, ever going to get in Vogue's love. On and on and on. I mean, we get to be here for hours and hours on end, uh, uh, reminding ourselves of all the songs of love that have been sung over the decades. Our culture has a very clear definition of love. Our culture's understanding of love is, quite frankly, affirming. Affirm everything that I want. Uh, affirm me to do everything I want. Affirm me to be whatever I want. Affirm me to have whatever I want. That is the culture's definition of love. And if you don't stand in line with that, then you don't love. You are not a loving person. Which is why we have in our culture the adage, love is love. And so we are to just simply affirm love for what it is. We are not to make any distinctions with love. Of course, you know, love is love is typically used when we're talking about marriage. And so it, 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 we're not supposed to make any distinctions about about what marriage is uh, uh, valid or what marriage is invalid and, and so on. Love is love. There are no distinctions. There are no questions. We're just to affirm and we are to accept and we are to praise all for what it is. And please understand that the Bible's definition of love is much different from our culture's definition of love. Love is not anything goes. Love is not whatever you want it to be. Love is clearly defined, clearly expressed in the scriptures, and the definition of love is our very God himself. 1 John 4 would tell us that God is love. So if you want to know what love is, you don't have to go searching for it 
you don't have to go, I can't even remember the group, but you don't have to go like the, like the, the, the techno group that, that's saying, what is love, um, and, 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 and going around like the night at the Roxbury looking for, you know, the love. That's not what this is. Uh, or as Black Eyed Peas would sing, where is the love? You don't have to look for, uh, very far for the love. All you have to do is look to our creator and our maker and our sustainer and our Lord to see what love is. And as we know from Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, if you want to see love in action, look no further than the cross at Calvary. And look at our Savior with his arms stretched wide, nailed to a splintery cross of wood, saying with his words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. See him taking upon himself the very wrath of God. See him taking upon himself the sins of yours and mine and, and, and taking them upon himself until they were satisfied, until the punishment was paid, until the debts were all off, until we were forgiven. That's what love is. And God in the Scriptures calls us to love as we have been loved by Jesus. It is not a, a self-affirming love. It's not a give me whatever I want, do, help me do whatever I want, help me be whatever I want. That's not what love is. Rather, love is the laying down of your life so that another may live in Christ. That's what love is. Just as Jesus would lay down his life so that we could live in him, so we lay down our lives so that others may live in him. That's what love is. It seems like a stark contrast from what our culture defines as love. And maybe even for you, you say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that's really loving. I, I, I mean, you know, there, there, there are other ways that we, can, that we can love. There are other ways that we can show our affection. There are other ways that we can do this. And the reason that we kind of bristle, I think, is because of those first two verses in Romans 12. Because we need a mind change. We need renewal. Thinking like the world the love that is displayed in the gospel, the love that is displayed even here in Romans 12, seems foreign to us. We need a transformation of our minds so that we see things as God sees them, so that we love as God loves, and so that we affirm uh, 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 this definition of love and this way of love, even as our Lord has shown us. That's what we need. We need a transformation of mind and a transformation of life. As we look at this text here in Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to get really specific about love. He's going to show us what love actually is. He's going to help us understand the, uh, some of the details of love, love on the ground, if you will. Not just this, this abstract concept of love, but, but he's going to put the rubber onto the road, if you will, and say, okay, this is what love looks like in real time, in real life. 
And my hope for you is not only that you may be able to look at your life and and ask, is my life running parallel with this standard of love that we have here in Romans 12, but also that you would say, if it doesn't, Lord, would you renew my mind? Would you transform me from the inside out so that I would love as you have required me to love, so that we may love as Christ loves. We've been talking the last few weeks about a gospel culture and what it looks like to, uh, to cultivate a gospel culture. And as you see here, as we uh, saw last week, Paul would tell us that the way that we do so is, is by not thinking so highly of ourselves, but, but, but rather that using the gifts that the Lord has given us, we would go outward in loving one another and serving one another as members of the body of Christ, as Pastor Sean taught us last week. We are, we are members one of another. We are knit together as a body. When we talk about members, we're not talking about uh, membership as in like a Costco or Sam's Club or, or something like that, where, where it's really just one way, isn't it? You know, you go in, you get the goods and all of that, and then you leave. And there's no requirement for you at all, except, of course, money. There's, there's no requirement for you at all. You just, you just go get what you need and get out. That's the, the benefit of being a member at Costco, but that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about membership. When it talks about membership, it talks about being a part of a body. The members here are body parts. You are a body part. You are a part of the body of Christ. And just as you would think some kind of way about amputation, that's how you should think about yourself being disconnected from the body. An amputated hand you know, almost, as, as Pastor Sean said yesterday, uh, last week, and by the way, when you said that, Pastor Sean, uh, I, the, in, the image that came to my mind instantly was the little thing on, uh, on Adam's family, the little hand that just kind of walks around and all of that. Now, that makes perfect sense in Adam's family, but we know in real life, hands that have been amputated from a body don't just walk around all over the place. Hands that have been amputated from the body is a dead hand. And in much the same way, You being disconnected from the body, only thinking about yourself and not thinking about others in the body, not thinking about how you can contribute, how you can serve the body, not thinking about how your singing even, as we just did, helps someone else in the body or how you serving and and turning off lights or cleaning up trash or helping in KTC or serving the teens or whatever the ministry is. You are contributing to the body. If you're not thinking in that way, you are like a hand that has been cut off. You are amputated. You've got to get reconnected to the church, reconnected to your local family so that you're able to serve. And in the process, you are experiencing the very life of Christ flowing through you into other people, the very definition of love. That's what he wants you to be. That's what he wants you to do. So now he's going to get specific and say, let me show you how this plays out. Okay. Now, you look at these commands, it's a lot of commands. And by the way, this isn't even all the commands. This is just a few of them. He's going to mention a few more later on in the, in the chapter. Uh, but we're only going to look at these here in, in verses uh, 9 to 13, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on here. And you see in verse 1, he says, love 
You see in verse 10, he says, love. And then he even goes on with another word for love that we'll see in just a bit, brotherly affection. That's just another term there that he uses for love. And, and then he goes on and talking about contributing to the needs of others and showing hospitality. And by the way, in the Greek, the word for hospitality, that's another word for love. And so he's got love, 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 love. Love is just all over this place, okay? And so we're going to look at this. I'm going to try and organize it a little bit for us so that we can see uh, exactly what love is and how we are to love. Okay, y'all ready? All right, let's go. Thank you, Annie. She's ready. All right, you're always ready. I love that. That's why I married you. All right, here we go. So notice first off, love, actual love is, and the word I use for this is factual. Actual love is factual. Okay? What does that mean? Well, look what he says in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Look at the command first. Let love be genuine. The word behind genuine is the word anupakritas. Anupakritas. Now, when you hear anupakritas, What's a word in English that may come to your mind? Anybody? Anupakritas. Maybe if I just take the prefix off and I give you hypocritas, what does that sound like? That sounds like a hypocrite. Yeah, a hypocrite. If you go back into Greek culture, they were known for a lot of things, but one thing in particular they were known for were their theaters. Okay, How many of y'all are more on the the dramatic side. You like acting. You like doing those different things. Yeah. Um, those of you who are married, um, don't. If your spouse raised your hand, don't don't give a little mm-hmm, you know, or anything like that. <laughs> uh, you know, we 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 know they are. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the dramatic types and and in Greek culture, they were all about the theaters, and they would do this. They would have two masks that they would put on. And they would, they would take one mask, the actor who was the, the hero of the story, he would take a mask and he would put it on and the mask would have a smiley face, okay? And he would go around and he would do all of his parts in the play and you knew the guy with the smiley face is the hero, he's the good guy, the protagonist in the story. And then there would be another character that would have another mask and the mask would have a frowny face. And that frowny face would say, he's the bad guy. He's the antagonist, okay? He, he's the guy you're supposed to boo for. Smiley guy, yay! Frowny guy, boo, right? And, and as, they, as long as they had the mask on, they played the part that they were supposed to portray. They played the part of their character. They weren't that character. They were pretending to be that character as long as they had the mask on. Once they take the mask off, then it's just, you know, Jim. But once he puts the mask on, he's Hercules, you know, or something, you know. Uh, and that's the way that it was, okay? Now, that person, the word that they used for the actor in the theater was Hippocrates. That's where we got our word. That's where we got hypocrite. It's a person who plays a part. A person who wears a mask. A person who pretends to be someone that they're not. Let love be anupakritas. That prefix there is a negation of the word. Let love be unhypocritical. Let love be real. 
Let love be genuine. Let love not be fake. Let love not be bless your heart. <laughs> but let, let love be the real deal. In other words, we are to love with sincerity. If you're going to live, if your love is going to be factual, then it means that who you are is who you are, not who you're pretending to be. Again, we hear this and we go, oh my goodness, that cuts out like 50% of the ways that I love because I'm just sometimes loving just to be nice. I don't like the person, you know, but I'm just supposed to love that person. And so I just kind of do it, right? And the love that Paul is calling for here is not a just do it type of love. It's a love that is real. I, I, I show love to you because I actually love you. That's what he's saying here. Now, he gives some more commands here. And, that, and, and you, you see that in verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. If love is factual, then love must be with sincerity. But also here, if love is factual, then love must also be with morality. In other words, uh, and, and we can already see this, this, this flies in the face of our culture. Our culture says, affirm me. I am who I say I am. I am what, or I want what I said I want. And you cannot tell me otherwise. If you do, you're not loving. And to be sure, there are many ways, I say this to our shame, there are many ways in which the church has not demonstrated love in our society. But when we, say, when we say the truth about sin, and we tell the truth about righteousness and goodness and holiness, that is not an unloving thing. That is part of the definition of what it means to love. To love means we tell the truth. To love means we have to tell you that what you're doing is wrong and you're going in the wrong direction, and it's going to lead to, to devastating consequences if you continue to go in this direction. It may not be consequences that you'll experience in the here and now, but I promise you there will be consequences in the hereafter. And it is a loving thing for me to tell you that. Now, i got to say this, as a little asterisk here to that. I can say it in an unloving way, can't I? And we know this all the time. We have people who seem, to, who seem to, to, to get some type of jubilation over uh, owning, you know, uh, sinners, right? And, and downing those, those folks who, who, who have a, a sinful uh, worldview or who have a warped understanding of what is good and what is wrong. And, and we kind of pump our chests out and, oh, there we go, yeah, I showed them, you know, all this. Like we're supposed to, like, like I just dunked on somebody and I, and I, wanna, I want somebody to just kind of, you know, chest pump me and everything. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah, I showed you because I'm a Christian. That's not Christian. That's not Christian. Okay? There's a way for you to say it in love. I know that because in Ephesians 4, Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love, which means telling the truth isn't just all that you need in order to be loving. You've got to tell the truth in love, in a loving way, in a way that says, again, I genuinely care for you. There are a lot of folks who love to rub people's noses like a dog into their sin and so on. And they're not doing so because they love them. They're, so, they're doing so because they're trying to score points off of them. That's not love. 
Rather, love is restorative. Love is, is a way of saying, I care about you. And that's why I plead with you, don't go in this direction. I plead with you, hold fast to what is good. I plead with you, please. God loves you and he would not tell you that this is the wrong way to go. If Just because he, he didn't want you to be happy in this life, he wants you to be the happiest in this life. But you will only be happiest when your happiness is in him. And we do everything that we can to love these folks and to show compassion on them. We do so with humility, recognizing that we too are sinners, recognizing that we've got all kinds of junk in our lives, recognizing that we are a work in progress as well. And so we don't say so with this sense of superiority over or anything like that, but rather as a fellow sinner trying to show another fellow sinner how to find grace. We love factually. We are truly loving people, not wearing a mask and pretending to be someone that we're not. And we love with morality, telling the truth about love. Uh, let me say something to some of our younger folks, or at least our, our folks who, who are going through relationships and, and so on. Let me say this uh, to y'all. Um, when somebody says, and I especially want young folks to look at me, when, when, when there's folks who say, baby, I love you, they, they don't say it that way. They say, <clears throat> baby, I love you. Maybe not a stalker like that last part there, but baby, I love you. And if they're trying to urge you to do things and engage in things that clearly go against the standard and the pattern of Scripture, they are not loving you as Jesus loves you. Go the other way. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6 would say, flee from immorality. Run. Get out of there. Even if necessary, get out of the relationship. You say, but I don't know. I mean, what if that person is the only one? I mean, they said they love me, and they're like almost 8 billion people, and only one has ever said they love you. Trust God. Trust him. He loves, he loves you. Even when this fake lover is pretending to love you. No, no. Don't lower your standard just so you can get a cheap imitation of do you, do you get what I'm saying here? All right. There is real love. That's what we pursue. That's what we pursue. So we love with sincerity. We love with morality. Why? Because actual love is factual. But not only that, but actual love is familial. Look what he says in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Actual love is familial. I, I love this, 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 this first line in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, um, because Paul just basically empties the thesaurus, <laughs> if you will, when it comes to love. And so no, notice that word there, um, love, there in verse 10, love one another, is actually a compound word. Uh, and the compound word is Philostorgos, Philostorgos, and you go, okay, what's going on here? Well, philos is a word that we translate in our English, love, and storge is a word that we translate in our English, 
love. English is not helpful, <laughs> just to let y'all know. Um, when it comes to love, the English language, we're just like, uh, love. And Greek has all kinds of different words. And so here you have a compound word where you take philos and you take storge and you put it together and it's love, love. <laughs> That's all we've got in English. So he says, love, love one another. And then he says, with brotherly affection. And so he grabs that philos love there and he combines it with the term that we use uh, that's translated brothers. The word there, by the way, is adelphos. Philadelphos or Philadelphia. Yeah, y'all have heard of that before, right? It's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the city that's like the exact opposite of what the word <laughs> means. I can say that because I'm from Maryland. And, um, and, and, and you say Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, brotherly Adelphia, love, philos, Philadelphia. He says we are to love one another in the exact opposite way as, as the city demonstrates. We are to love one another with the actual meaning of the term, with brotherly love. In other words, check this out. The moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you became a part of a family. The greatest family on earth. You are a part of God's family. God is our father. We love that part, right? God is our father. And so we pray like our Lord taught us to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that how most of our relationships with the Lord is? You know, God is our father and we love that and we can focus on that all day long. But guess what? There, there's more people in the family. Uh, you've got brothers and sisters. You've got siblings. See? Look around. Most of us in this room are brothers and sisters. There are some here who aren't a part of the family just yet. The Bible says that you are a part of this family when you come to faith in Jesus. When you admit, like we have, that, that, that you are a sinner before God and you are right now under the, just, uh, the deserved just penalty of God's wrath. But Jesus on the cross made a way. Jesus on the cross is the way who takes away the sin of the world as John the Baptist declared. And if you place your faith in him, entrusting your life to him, saying, I can't save myself, none of us can because God is too holy and too just and too perfect. One stain on our record is all that it takes for us to be condemned. I cannot save myself, but the one who is sinless, the one who is the very Son of God, the one who is the apple of His eye, the one in whom He is well pleased. He is the one who is able to take my sin and He is the one who can suffer in my place and He is the one who can give me life and cover me with His righteousness and bring me into God's family. That is the good news. And if you trust in that, God is not going to turn you away. No. He wants you in His family. You turn to him and call on his name and God has given us his word in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Call on him, and we will have the privilege of calling you brother or sister. I remember back in the old Baptist days, that used to be all the thing, right? You get into the old, the old Baptist churches, and somebody would walk in and go, hey, Brother Matt, how you doing? Good to see you, Brother Matt. Sister Risa, how you doing? It's so good to see you, Sister Risa. And they would say, I'm doing fine, Brother Ron George. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And you just walk, <laughs> and you would just walk around. And remember, how many of y'all grew up in churches like that? You know, where, where you had the old school churches where you just go brother this and sister that, you know, and all that. And, and eventually we just thought, that's just weird. It's just weird. I mean, I don't call my actual brother and sister brother Christian and sister Lisha. I just, I don't do that, you know? I mean, it's just weird. But I think that there was something very uh, uh, formative in doing that. I'm not saying that we revive it or anything, unless you want to and, you know, bring it on. But, but there's something formative there in that when I look at you, I am with my mouth declaring you are my brother. You are my sister. We are family. Now, it would have been really nice if those Baptist churches actually didn't like, you know, split <laughs> and things like that. Although I guess that is a little bit of sibling uh, nature in there as well. But, but we're called to, to give each other that kind of affection. We're family. Yes, before Christ, we were strangers. Even before Christ, we may have been in groups that were at odds with each other. Culturally, there's no reason for this black man to be in this room. Culturally, that makes no sense. Why are you hanging with these folks? Why are you still here? Even when you start talking about uh, some of our denominational partnerships and connections and so on, I remember getting texts from people that were like, dude, why are you still there? Why are you still here? And, that, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, it is a wrestling match a lot of times. There are some things that I've got to grapple with personally a lot of times, but somewhere in the midst of it all, I've got to look at my Father in heaven and say, this is the family that you are bringing together. Is it a mess? Oh yeah, it's a mess. We got all kinds of junk. We got all kinds of stuff that we've got to work through and we've got to reform and we've got to repent and we've got to continue to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But there is coming a day when all of us, brothers and sisters, will be gathered together from every tribe and every nation and every language and we will enjoy that sweet harmony that right now is a striving. It's a, it's a fight. It's something I've got, to, I've got to work through and I've got to cultivate. But on that day, I will experience it like I've never experienced it before with no pressure, with no tension, with no pushback or anything like that. We will be his family once and for all and it will be a place of harmony and peace forever. That day is coming, church. It's coming. It's worth the fight. What kind of fight? Well, he goes on in here. He says uh, that not only are we supposed to love with affection, but we're supposed to love with appreciation. He says in that line in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah, there is a sibling rivalry in this church. There, there ought to be a sibling rivalry in the family of God, but it's a different type of sibling rivalry. It's not like what you have in your home where you got your kids yelling all the time, give it back, 
and I'm telling, and I was here first, and all these things that happen in other people's homes, not in the lock home. But, but you know, all this stuff that we have, and we're constantly fighting and all of this. You got folks going over to one parent and saying, hey, 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 can I, can I get on the TV? Can I, can I watch TV? Can I, can I use your iPad? Can I do all these different things? And then they get over and go, ha, ha, I got there first, ha, 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 you know, and everything. Again, other people's homes, not the lock home. Ours is a home of peace and harmony and love, and we sing worship songs all day. And, and, <laughs> but, but here, he says, there's this sibling rivalry, but not like that. It's a different type of sibling rivalry. We are outdoing one another in showing honor. Ooh, that's amazing. It flips it on its head, right? It's not the sibling rivalry of shame. You did something wrong, and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that you did something wrong. You, you oh, oh, I'm telling, ooh, you're going to get it. That, that's how it works in our culture, but that's not how it works in the church. In the church, the rivalry is, how can I elevate you? How can I exalt you? How can I encourage you? How can I make much of you? Not in a way that, that gives you a big head or anything like that, but to celebrate what God's doing in your life. I, I want to encourage you. Hey, are, are, you, are you doing well? Am I seeing transformation in your life? I want to make, make that known. I want to I share your testimony. I want to share your story. I, I, I want to praise God for what he's doing in your life. What would our church be like if we were climbing over each other and stepping over each other in order to show what God is doing in other people's lives? Not being all inward and self-focused and, 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 and everything so that, you know, this person gets exalted and we go, well, I do a better job than that person. How come that guy gets to, gets to do everything and I don't get to do nothing? And every, No, wait. How, you have an opportunity now to go and join in and say, praise God for what you're doing in that person's life. Man, that's amazing what God is doing. I'm so glad that God has blessed you this way. See? Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what he wants. If love is going to be familial, we've got to love with affection. And we've got to love with this healthy competition of appreciation, outdoing one another in showing honor. Last, we see here that actual love is fanatical. <laughs> fanatical. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You see that there? Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't, don't lag in your zeal. Don't, 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 don't pull up on the, on the gas in your, in your uh, enthusiasm and so on. No, we, we, are to, we are to go and we are to continue to be passionate towards one another. We are to continue to, to care for one another and be enthusiastic about it. By the way, the old adage that you know, you, uh, loving someone doesn't mean that you have to like them is not biblical. You've heard people say that before, right? I mean, God said I'm supposed to love you. He didn't say I had to like you. Not what this text says. This text says, no, you actually are supposed to have an enthusiasm about caring for other people. You say, how do I do that? Well, notice in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 11 again, we're to love with energy. You see that? He says we're not to be slothful in zeal. 
We're to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The idea is this, and all of us have experienced this. We've had those moments where we've tried to love, and we we start off really, really red hot, right? I mean, we're just, yeah, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to care about my brother in Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to serve my sister in Christ. And you're, and you're rolling. I mean, I mean, the, the pedal is all the way to the floor, and you're going. And after a while, you're just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, do I really have to care about that person as much? I mean, do I, I mean, can't, can't you like, you know, pick up some of the slack on yourself? I mean, you're, you know, this is, I mean, I got stuff to do, you know, and, every, and what's happening? You're letting up on the gas. It's natural for us to do that. It's natural for us to say, ah, you know, I mean, it's, we're working and everything, but now, you know, things are just kind of, kind of, you know, tapering off a little bit, and I don't really care as much as I used to and, and everything. Well, what do I need? Well, notice he says there that we are to be fervent in spirit, and there's a lot of debate over spirit, if spirit is talking about your own personal spirit or if spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit. I think that he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. What he means here is that this energy, this fervor that we need is not from ourselves, but rather it's something that God supplies for us. Here's the thing. You run out. You will tap out on your own energy because you don't have but only so much energy. What you need is the renewable energy of the Holy Spirit tapping into you so that now you are able to love even when you don't totally feel like loving. God gives you the and God gives you what you need so that you could love. And in his grace, he kind of reconnects your heart, if you will, so that as you are continuing to love, God is cultivating you to be one who actually loves. That's what he's doing here. And so he says here uh, to be fervent in spirit and then again, serve the Lord. Note, if I'm serving this person alone, there may be reasons that I don't totally like to do it. But if I recognize that I'm not just serving this person, but I'm serving the Lord through my service to this person, there's never a reason for me not to want to serve the Lord. And so he's saying, think about this. You've got the opportunity to serve the Lord through your service to other people. You get the opportunity to show off your love for the Lord by how you love other people. And in so doing, the Lord, as he says in Isaiah 40, will renew your strength. So that you're able to continue to go and continue to take another step and continue to care even when you don't always feel like it. We're to love with energy. Not only that, but we're to love with tenacity. For in verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Uh, We all know that if there's one thing that tapers off our love for one another, it's trials and suffering, isn't it? It's hard to love when you're going through stuff. It's hard to love when you get bad news. It's hard to care for other people when things are going on in your own life. He says here in verse 12 that we are to rejoice in hope. Notice, you have a future. And the present may not always be all that rosy. It may not be all that happy and so on. But you can rejoice because you have a future. And you keep your mind fixed on the future. 
standing before the Lord, standing before Him complete and holy and blameless, knowing that you will be fully covered in His righteousness, fully glorified as He has said in the Scriptures. And you are able then, uh, 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 with that hope, to continue to rejoice even when there seems to be nothing to rejoice about in the here and now. Your future is bright. Your future is sure. And in this, we hope. And so even in my suffering, I can continue to rejoice. Even in my tribulation, I can continue to be patient. I can endure, which is probably the better understanding of the word there. I can endure in tribulation. I can be constant in my prayers. And those are, those are the things in my suffering that I need if I'm going to continue to be outward in my love. And so even in your suffering, even in the hurts, even in the times where all you can do is cry, even in the moments where you just don't feel like you can get out of your bed, God has given us a future. And that future, that hope that we have in Christ is what we need so that we can get up and we can get right back at loving. We love with energy. We love with tenacity. In verse 13, in closing, we love with generosity. As he says there, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And you don't see it as much in the, uh, in the English here, but in the Greek, these are actually two different categories. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That, those would be the people that are here, right? right here, our brothers and sisters. We've got needs. We've got concerns. There are things that, that we can have, uh, things that, that, that we need to have, that we don't have, and so on. And we learn to give and to share and so on. If I could just give a little bit of a shout out to the furloughs, our refrigerator was, was, was just off. It, it wasn't working. The compressor had broken and so on. And the furloughs heard about it and they said, hey, we've got this little mini fridge uh, that could hold you guys over until the refrigerator is, is ready. Um, and, and God bless them for, for doing that. That was contributing to the needs of the saints. We need a fridge. They had a little fridge, you know, and, and, and they were trying to, we were trying to work it out and everything so that we could use it and everything. God was kind with that. I remember two Mikes at a church we used to go to. Uh, Mike number one, uh, his truck broke down. It just stopped working. Mike number two heard about it. He said, hey, I got a truck that I don't drive. It just sits in my driveway. I, I drive it a few times out of the year and all of that. You can have it. Did you all hear that? You can have it. Not you can borrow it. Not I'll sell it to you. No, it's yours. Mike number one was going, no, 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 I don't need all that. I don't, I don't need all that. Mike number two said, don't keep me away from the opportunity of serving you. He actually said that. To which Mike number one felt all guilty. He was like, well, I mean, you're going to put it that way, you know. And, <laughs> and he, gave it, he gives it to him. Praise God for that. That's what Christians do. We meet each other's needs. We care for one another. We love on one another. We hear a need and we say, hey, I've got the resources that I can help with that. And you do it. That's what we do. That's what we've done for millennia. The second category is, as I said, it's a little bit obscure because we have the word here, hospitality. But in the Greek, the word for hospitality is that other word for love that I told you. There's, there's philos again. But he puts it there next to another word. And the word there is xenoi. If you've heard of the word xenophobia, how many of y'all have heard that term before? Xenophobia. Xenophobia is the fear of what? Anybody know? 
Yeah, yeah, fear of, of, foreign, uh, of, of foreigners or fear of strangers. Yeah, I take it to mean these are folks who are from outside. So we love the people that are inside and we seek to meet the needs of the folks who are inside, but also we are welcoming to those who are outside. Yeah, in fact, he even says here, seek to show hospitality, pursue hospitality. In other words, be actively looking for ways that you can welcome people who are from outside the fold. Look for ways where you can open your home to folks who are not like us. Open to folks, open your door to folks who are, who are not from us. Open your door to folks who don't kind of live life exactly the same way that we do. We are to be welcoming and hospitable people. That's what we do. We are known for our hospitality. We're known for our generosity. He says, this is what we're supposed to do, and this is how we're supposed to love. Now, again, we hear all of this, and we go, this is so over my head. Like, this is like, you know, this is like varsity level. This is AP uh, <laughs> Christian love, you know, and I'm still over here in, like, elementary, you know, trying to figure it out. Praise God. Praise God. Instead of looking at this as a checklist, to say, okay, am I doing this, am I doing this, am I doing this, am I doing this, am I doing this? Rather, how about we take this as a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, cultivate this culture in us and among us. Help me, Lord, to love actually. To love in a way that will genuinely be concerned about the needs of my siblings in Christ and even those outside. Lord, cultivate in me a care for those who are not living in a way that is worthy of Christ and, and a care that says, I, I, I want to do something to help you, to urge you to follow Jesus. I, I, I don't want to just do church where we show up on Sunday and, and we look at our clocks waiting for the, for the whole thing to be over so that we can, we can hurry up and live the rest of our lives. No, that's not what this is supposed to be. Rather, what can I do, Lord? How can you cultivate in me a love for my church that I look forward to these moments because it's an opportunity for me to love as I have been so deeply loved? What can we do that this can be a family reunion for us every single time we gather? How can we love in such a way that is not just the least common denominator, but we go with the zeal and the fervor that says, I have an opportunity to serve the risen Christ and the family that he is cultivating. What an honor. And we live every single day looking for ways that we can care in our community groups, looking for ways that we can care even one-on-one, -on -one, looking for ways that we can invite people into our home and just show the love of Jesus on folks. Or you hear of folks who are hurting and suffering and, and they can just come and sit on your couch and cry and just, and just let it all out about all the things that are going on and you can cry together with them or you can cry over the phone, or, or whatever, where you just say, we're here, as we're going to see in the next passage, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what we do. That's who we are as Christians. How can we love in a way that says, unlike this world whose love is inward and, 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 and self-focused and self-absorbed, how can we love in such a way that says, our Lord has set us free 
so that we don't have to be about ourselves, but we're about Him, and we're about all that He has placed in front of us, and we love by laying down our lives so that they can live in Him. How do we love this way? May God work in us, cultivate in us a new culture, (laughs) a culture that says, more than anything, Jesus is King. And if Jesus is the one who has shown us what it means to love, then following him means we follow him in this love. The gospel is not just the way to life. The gospel is the way of life. And we love because Jesus has loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, You may have heard these commands. You may be thinking to yourself, I I don't love anywhere remotely close to this. Please understand, as I said before, this is not Paul wagging his finger at us telling us to shape up or anything like that, but rather he is giving us a vision of how the gospel transforms us. So we have the opportunity even now today to pray and say together, Lord, please make us people who love like this. Christ Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin. But he also died to give us a new way. By the Spirit. And so we pray, Father. Move among us. Cultivate in us actual love. Not make-believe love. Not pretend love. Not nice and polite love, but actual love. Love that is eager to lay our lives down so that others may live in Christ. Right now, there are some of you who are praying, and and I praise God for this, and you're praying, Lord, please cultivate this in me. I ask that you would get specific with him. Where in this do you see, is the Spirit helping you see where, where you're saying, I, I don't love like this? Maybe even get honest with them and say, Lord, I don't want to love like this. But also, I pray, would you go to him and say, Lord, help me love like this. He will hear your prayer. Will answer. Maybe you're here today and you said, I have never seen love like this before. Well, let me tell you, the love that is demonstrated here in these verses come from the very love of our Savior. It's because of his work on the cross. It's because he has so transformed us and changed us that we are freed to love like this. No longer have to live in our insecurity, as Pastor Sean 
taught us last week. We no longer have to live in our insecurities, but we can live freely in love because we have been so dearly and deeply loved. And we want you to get on, on, get in on this. He can set you free too by his grace. Don't just leave this here at the door and, and go on back to the way things used to be. Be free by God's grace. Be free by the grace of our Lord Jesus. Be free. Call on him. Let him free you to be one who loves as he has loved. Our Lord has spoken. May the Spirit do His work as He cultivates us into a family built together and knit together by the love of Jesus.